Our guest on The Year That Made Me Now is someone who believes in the power of art and someone who's experienced the power of dictatorial repression. His commitment to free expression and to democracy and freedom has made him, as he rightly says, hated by the government of the country where he was born, China. And he's had to pay a high price for that commitment, which still has severe consequences for him, even though he's lived in Australia since 2009 and has become an Australian citizen. To this day, he only uses his pen name, Badu Chow, in the hope of shielding those in China who are close to him from reprisals. And full disclosure, Badu Chow is someone I've worked with previously, including for the 2019 Chaser Lecture, someone I've bought art from, indeed. He's a person who I respect and admire purely as an artist, but also as a dissident who is truly a master of the art of creative dissent, something recognised in 2020 when he was awarded the Václav Havel Prize for Creative Dissent. Badu Chow, welcome to The Year That Made Me. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. Bhatti Chow, could you tell us a little bit about uh, where you were born and your early family life? I'm born in Shanghai, a, a pretty, well, privileged city, I would say, in China. I grew up there for my entire childhood. You know, I, I should consider myself to be very lucky um, to be able to live in uh, probably one of the best city in China. However, the economic um, growth in this city cannot just guarantee the day-to-day -day life of freedom or really the sense of safety uh, mm. to be a residence there. My family has been in Shanghai for uh, three generations um, and it has been a great city apart from its terrible political oppression history. And price has been paid through different generations from my family to my great, uh, great parents' generations. They were persecuted in 1957 uh, in Shanghai uh, due to their practice in the film industry. Um, they got sent out from Shanghai to a rural forced labor camp. And then my father became an orphan and got bullied because uh, the family history of being anti-revolution. So did you grow up with a sense of not being part of or endorsing the system that was the normality around you? I considered it as, as, a, as really a shadow, but as well as a kind of blessing so that I am almost immune to the propaganda to some extent because uh, the ham family history they've been told. Uh, when they see all the great news, how developed this city or this country has become, how wise the leadership is, I always would put a question mark. Then as, as I grow up, I will hear uh, personal stories from other people, which are so different from the uh, national narratives. And all of that is adding into my confusion and question to this system. And for all that confusion and perhaps scepticism, Bhatti Chow, I understand that when you were studying law in 2007, there was a moment that sort of opened your eyes in a different way. Could you tell us about that? So the history has told me the Communist Party's ruling is very brutal in my great parents' generation and in my 
parents' generation. But to me, it seems everything is okay. In 2007, that year, I accidentally watched a documentary about it. And that, that's not from any, uh, let's say, normal or even legal channel in China. Well, by the time I was studying university and uh, we always have this ritual to, you know, pirating a film, as a lot of young people <laughs> do in China. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you never know what kind of file you really downloaded. And for mm. that particular weekend, we downloaded supposed to be a Taiwanese film and... Suddenly, the film, when we played it, just turned into something entirely different. And it turned out to be a documentary about the Tiananmen Massacre. It's called Hamley Gate. It has a great amount of evidence, the footage that recording what happened in 1989 from the movement to the last time, to the last day of the cracking down and the massacre. But no one, literally no one, talked about it. And that's, that's something really shocking. At that time, Vadichai, you were studying to be a lawyer. Were you already an artist as well? Um, I I wouldn't say so. I definitely have uh, a passion in appreciate visual art. Uh, However, actually, my family never wanted me to be an artist because they know uh, that it's a dangerous thing. And to be a lawyer is actually nothing idealism either. It's rather a very practical choice, you know, as a lot of um, Chinese parents would want their children to be. Be a doctor, be a lawyer, have a good income. But it's never about pursuing a dream or fulfilled potential as individual. You've said that 2007 was a critical moment in your life, but it's not the year you've chosen as the year that made you, Butter Chow. What year have you chosen? And perhaps you could tell us a little bit before that of the story that gets you from 2007 to the year that you've chosen. Right. So um, after I graduated from the law school, I feel, you know, it's it's almost impossible for me to really become the person that I want to be and also pursuing the dream of being an artist. So I, I choose to left China to Australia. And th- there was this very interesting time before Xi Jinping, the Chinese uh, premier or president in power, that is before he is in power, that is actually a period of time that the internet in China was quite uh, a vibrant. Uh, there's a lot of uh, people trying to express themselves. So I just starting to become a part of this online discussion in China with the language of art. But when I started, I know, you know, um, this could get me in trouble easily. So I made the decision to not revealing my true identity when I create my art. So I would use a, a pen name. I would not uh, take you know interviews like this without change my voice. I wouldn't be very careful to show myself in the public um, performance or occasion by wearing a mask. And uh, up until 2018, I've managed to hide myself successfully. I literally split my life into half. Mm. Uh, and that have a very huge impact on my day-to-day life. In 2018, the end of 2018, the worst thing that I can imagine finally knocked the door, which is my identity got compromised. The Chinese 
National Security Police knows my identity and actually knocked my home in China and took my relatives to the police station for interrogation in order to get to me and stopping me from making art. Actually, by the time I'm having my first solo exhibition in Hong Kong, and they are actually doing this in order to force me to cancel the exhibition. And so it was in 2019, and indeed on the 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre, that you made a really significant decision, Bajie Chow. What was that? And, and, and why did you choose it as the year that really made you? So on that very important anniversary, um, I revealed my face uh, in my documentary, which is airing national widely in Australia, uh, in a way as my message to the Chinese government that I am not going to be owned or controlled or manipulated by their threat. I want to show the world that I've my face and, and telling them that I am not afraid of them. And, and that is why, you know, for me, the year of 2019 is particularly important because that's the time I finally merge my separate identities into one. And I truly embrace myself uh, as an artist and I want to continue making art like this. Mm. So with decision uh, made like this, then I'm completely exposed um, to the public uh, or the kind of harassment and the threaten you know, just peaked after uh, I, I made that decision. Yes. So could you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the downsides of coming out and revealing your identity as uh, Baidu Chow? What, what impact did it have, for example, on your place in the Chinese-Australian community? You know, this this is something that makes me actually pretty sad because when I left to China and re relocated myself in Australia, I... I was imagined that I can finally have freedom uh, and safety uh, no matter what I want to express because this is a nation celebrating freedom of speech. However, I think I underestimated the long reach of the uh, oppressive Chinese government. And in fact, mm-hmm. even in Australia, I have been experiencing all sorts of uh, harassment from cyber attack. Um, to being followed uh, physically in city, um, to have people uh, trying to interrupt and harassing public events, and to an extent that I even need to be worried if I want to dine out in a Chinese restaurant or have a wandering in the Chinatown, uh, because there's no guarantee of safety for me at this moment. Your work has found a large international audience uh, of distribution. Do you know if it has got much of an audience or been able to be distributed much within China? Well, definitely, yes. I think people are starting to forget about how powerful internet can be. I've been very active on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, and recently uh, trying to using NFT as a new way to preserve information, to fighting the censorship. All those platforms actually are being open to audience to China to some extent. Uh, as we know, you know, the Chinese internet is tightly controlled in a lot of way as censorship or sensitive words filter, uh, which means the people cannot get access to Twitter or, or Google 
However, there are still ways uh, like letters, like VPNs or other software that can actually helping people to do so. And I do believe from my experience that there are, if not millions and tens of thousands of people would have the access to platform like Twitter. So they become the first layer of my audience. Um, you know, I never really set uh, a paywall or any barrier to my art. Uh, every time I finish something, I just post it online uh, on all the platforms with a good resolution. So people can download it, uh, people can share with it, people can even print it in a physical form and put it in, in the street as street art. Those works might be deleted or censored uh, after a while. But that's the beauty of art because you do not satisfy with just one frame or one image. Constantly you, you reacting to the news that popping out and creating a new language, a new image. So every time when you create something new, you're always one step ahead of the censorship system. Well, for those who are listening, we will post a link to Butterchow's website so you can check out his produce, which is really fantastic stuff. And Butterchow will also be appearing in conversation with illustrator and cartoonist Kathy Wilcox at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas on the 18th of September in a session called Drawing Truth to Power. Butterchow, it's been fantastic speaking with you. Thank you very much for joining us on The Year That Made Me. And we always finish this segment by asking our guests to choose a piece of music to go out with. What piece of music have you chosen and why? Thank, firstly, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, not just visual artists got trouble and being censored inside of China. There are a lot of great uh, musicians facing similar problems. And the song that I want to choose is uh, from a musician whose name is Li Zhi, who is also being banded national widely inside of China in 2019. The song that I want to choose is called The Square. It is one song that he created to memorizing the victims who got massacred uh, in 1989 in the Tiananmen Square and around. Well, here it is, The Square, about Chao. Thank you once again. Thank you. That's just a taste of the song that translates as The Square by Li Chu, the song chosen by our guest on The Year That Made Me, Chinese-Australian dissident artist Ba Du Chao. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.